If you have not met me, my name's Josh. I am happily married to Stephanie, who's sitting somewhere in the middle there. We have a lovely young infant son named Remy. And we've been going to this church for about five years now. Um, we love Jesus and we love the people here. And I've been excited to kind of see where we're going with this series. Um, it's exciting, but it's important, I think, as well. And so as kind of Tom just prefaced here, um, Tom asked us last week, what is the reality or story that we're living our lives in? And so we briefly discussed two of the main stories of reality that we often find ourselves or find in the world around us that the world offers. And that's the consumerist reality. So the point of my life where I derive value from and worth is the accumulation of stuff, relationships, and experiences. Or he talked about the modernist reality, so that science, human reason, and technology are going to overcome nature, and that is where humans progress. And so both of those realities ascribe to the belief that progress or purpose can actually be achieved without God. And so what Tom was kind of briefly describing there is that we here at Anchor Point actually believe that the story of God, as revealed through the Bible, is the reality that we want to be a part of. And so in order for us to actually step into that reality, Tom talked about last week that we need faith. And we actually need faith to step into any reality in life. And that Tom described faith simply as, the, as trust properly placed. And so Tom last week kind of teed it up for, the, for us this week, setting kind of a, a big picture framework of how we look at our lives. And this week we're going to talk about how we actually live life within that reality. So Matt, if you could go to that first slide there. So I mean, I'm usually one who just kind of like talks and rambles on, but I thought it would be helpful this morning to kind of have some visual aids. Yes. Who likes visual aids? <laughs> yes. Okay, so walk through this with me here. We have reality or stories that we by faith choose to live in. These realities or stories actually form our beliefs and our values. So what we believe about life. And the OMMD there stands for Origin, Meaning, Morality, Destiny. So the big questions of life that we all, all of us as humans ask ourselves is what forms the basis of what we believe or value. We're, we're together? And so out of those beliefs or values, we start to shape methods or practices, so ways we live, right? And they typically align with our beliefs or values. We can have like a smorgasbord of like, I might have a belief or value about this, but I smuggle in a way of living that's maybe more along the lines of this belief or value structure, but typically they align pretty well. And what results out of there is whether or not life or death comes out of those ways of living. And so what do I mean by that? If I gave an example, think of us living in a consumeristic reality per se. Our beliefs or values are that stuff relationships or experiences is what gives us meaning or worth, right? In the consumerist reality. That shapes the way we live. So the way I live, I want, it's about me. I want to accumulate these things and whether or not I actually achieve that is whether or not I have life or death within that reality. Does that make sense? Okay. And so if you can throw that first scripture up there, Matt. Proverbs 14:12 says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death." And so the question I have for us this morning to kind of get us started 
is if we place ourselves like as a person living in God's reality, as a person here, maybe you live within a consumeristic reality or someone who lives within a modernist reality, does the way you live your life lead to life or death? Can you throw up that next scripture there, Matt? So Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And now you can go to that. So Tom showed us that. Is it, can I call it a matrix? A matrix. Okay, we'll say a matrix of four circles. You go to the, the one that says God's way, God's people for him, Matt. So we're going to talk today about God's way to God's people. And I think the natural question is, okay, there's two circles up there, Josh, but what are they? So simply put, go to the next slide there, Matt. God's way is Jesus. John 14, 6, it's funny, we sang a song today like it was a coincidence. <laughs> the way, the truth, the life. And that's what Jesus is saying about himself. Jesus shows us God's way through his life, both in the things he said and how he lived. So that's going to be our definition of what God's way is. And so what is God's people? And I was having a lot of problems with this one. When I was studying and thinking about it, I'm like, how do I actually describe that? And there's a bunch of different thoughts that went through my head, but I came to this explanation. Those who have God's way explicitly present in their lives. And so we saw in that kind of horizontal part of the matrix, it said God's way with an arrow to God's people. So for me, the natural question that came out of that is, how does God's way become explicitly present in God's people? And so that's going to be our topic for today. And Tom said, apprenticeship, discipleship to Jesus. That's what we want to emphasize here at Anchor Point. That's what we're going to talk about. And so we're going to break it down into three parts for easier digestion, hopefully. And so we're going to talk about intimacy, being with Jesus, transformation, becoming like Jesus, and mission, doing what Jesus did. And so here's a question. If you sit here and you identify as a Christian, what would you say the primary call of Jesus on your life is? It's not a rhetorical question. Someone throw me an answer. To give him glory. Make disciples. Yep. Anyone else? The primary call of Jesus on your life. Someone say amen. What did you say, buddy? Amen. Love it. Way to go. Good answer. And you can throw that scripture up there from Matthew. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. There's a great quote by a guy named Paul Carter. I think he's a pastor at a Baptist church in Aurelia. And he wrote a good book. I think it's called like Mile One. And it says, The call of Jesus isn't love me, obey me, believe me. The call of Jesus is follow me. So with that in mind, 
Do you think that Jesus had a plan B or a better method for God's way to become explicitly present in God's life and God's people? I'll, I'll ask that question again. Do you think Jesus had a plan B or a better method for God's way to become explicitly present in God's people? As we're starting to be with Jesus and becoming intimate with him, I think we need to realize that whenever Jesus says something or models something, we should assume it is the best possible way of doing anything. So once we start reading scripture, we can see that the word Christian is actually only used three times in the New Testament. Isn't that funny? No? No one finds that funny? I kind of find that funny, right? Like I call myself a Christian. And typically the, the term Christian was used when a disciple who was a Jew could no longer be called that because there were so many Gentiles that were now part of that group. And so how many times do you think the word disciple is used in the New Testament? Someone give me a guess. 50. 50. Yeah, buddy. How many times? 100. Good guess. Anyone else? You're such a cheater. <laughs> It's 269 times, give or take. I didn't count them all myself, but it's 269 times. No, you didn't. Isn't that interesting? Christian used three times in the New Testament. Disciple used 269 times. I think today in our church circles, it's safe to say that I can be a Christian without being a disciple. If we investigate our lives, we will begin to see that the ways in which we actually live come from the things or the people that we spend the most time with. And so for us to identify as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, the absolute essential condition of that statement is that we're with him often. And this is true in all cases of ordinary life. Like take, We're talking about Jesus being his disciple, but this is true in all cases of life. If I want to learn something, I spend time with the person who's the expert in that given field, no? Or watch YouTube videos, one of the two, right? That's what we do, right? Someone's got to fix the sink, just watch a YouTube video. But we're still spending time with someone who knows what they're doing. And so the purpose, purpose of being that we are with our teacher to learn to be like them. And so in my specific context, looking at my son, I'm about to start potty training him. Right? He has to be with me to learn how that works. And I was like, why did you have to use that example? It just came to me. I'm, 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 I'm stressing about it in my mind. I'm thinking, okay, how am I actually going to teach this kid how to be potty trained? I'm looking for any advice some other time. That'd be great. For me personally, and <laughs> my example specifically is sports. I grew up playing, my, playing sports my whole life spending a lot of time with coaches, learning how to do things. And so for me to be able to be a competent athlete, I needed to spend a lot of time with people who knew more than I did. And so if we see Jesus then as the teacher of life, we need to stop looking at that relationship as one that primarily affects our spiritual reality, but a relationship that actually teaches us how to live every day. And so Jesus took great care to communicate to his disciples what life looks like in God's reality while he was with them. And in the Bible, we see Jesus' preferred way of teaching his disciples was actually 
speaking to them and modeling for them. And so that's why our study of scripture, knowing what Jesus taught and why, is actually integral to our life as as his disciple. But our relationship to Jesus and our ability to be with him is not primarily a physical reality anymore. And we see in Acts, after his resurrection, Jesus preparing his disciples for the reality of him actually physically leaving, but still being with them through the gift of the Spirit. So if you can throw oh, in my for Acts one one to three, in my former book Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so this is the state of our present relationship with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit and his word. So if you continue to read into Acts, we see that in the early church, the personal presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit was a practical reality in the lives of Jesus' disciples. The life that we hear about the Apostle John talking about a lot, or the in Christ that forms many of Paul's teachings, is the reality of being with Jesus that is now understood as primarily an inward reality of the soul and not a physical one. And so it's through this process of being with Jesus that we actually begin to see transformation in the way that we live. And that inward reality begins to manifest itself in the way who follow pe- in the way who in the way people who follow Jesus now live their lives. And so Romans 14, 17 to 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And so what Paul's specifically talking about there in Romans, he's talking to people who saw the kingdom of God primarily in the traditions of Jewish culture. So, and what I ate and what I did, that's how, that was the representation of the kingdom of God. But Paul's saying, no, not anymore. It's a righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so that, that is where we are in being with Jesus in intimacy. And now we're going to talk about transformation. Okay. So I wrote a short story about transformation. And I, I'm going to ask you guys to focus. And, and I mean, I never took a creative writing class, but that's okay. But focus and just stay with me here. So the, the title of this short story is, Is This Transformation? Here I go. So, so there's this guy who dies, and he looks like just like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Part of his dying wish is that he would offer anyone who wanted a free lifetime membership to his gym called The Kingdom. The only thing he asked was that I would do my best to get a shredded. Shredded is like... Yeah. Right? That's shredded. Just like you. As he was, and that I would help others get shredded like him as well. Included in the membership is a personal instruction on what types of exercises are the best for getting huge, and a personal trainer that stays with me 24-7-365. What a deal. And the trainer's name is Solely Hear It. <laughs> So filled with glee, I sign up for a membership in the kingdom, excited for the journey to Shredtown. That's where everyone who's big goes. 
In all my experience bodybuilding, I recount that the best place for me to work out is the gym. So I look up some gyms nearby and make my way over for a workout. When I get to the gym, I discover a sign with colorful lights and lots of cool decoration. But as I walk inside, something feels a little off. There is no workout equipment around, only a couple exercise balls, which everyone knows no one uses. <laughs> and a TV, and a TV that seems to have a bunch of people crowded around that look like me. So I walk up to the TV and realize it's on a loop of the rock singing Moana songs, which, which, surprising, which surprisingly excites me, and sweaty motivational workout videos. As odd of a combo as that is, it seems to get people somewhat excited. I also discover in the gym a little craft table for me to decorate my kingdom membership. And so I spend a little bit of time there decorating my membership, jumping up and down with some people, and then I leave after a couple hours, determined to make a once a week commitment in order for me to achieve my goal of looking like the rock. But strange things begin happening soon after I got my membership. I start seeing random workout equipment everywhere I go. And when I take a closer look, I see a big stamp on all the equipment that says, the kingdom. And it happens all the time, at my work, at home, when I'm with friends, when I'm alone, I start seeing the kingdom's equipment everywhere. And not only that, but solely hear it, keeps whispering in my ear, in this soft, gentle voice, you wanna exercise? I can show you how. I typically just brush solely hear it off politely, Sometimes I'm rude because I know that my once-a-week trip to the gym is doing wonders for my look. I'm still lifting the same amount of weight as I did at the beginning, but I know that the next time I see Moana in the rock sweat, I'm going to up my weight. <laughs> so I continue this routine for years. Every once in a while, using some of the random The Kingdom exercise equipment that pops up here and there, but never enough to make it a habit. I also, every once in a while, see someone that looks like The Rock on the street. And so I go up to them and ask them what they are lifting and what their membership looks like. And I show them my sweet, glittery, glittery, sparkly, colorful membership that I've spent so much time on. And when they show me theirs, it's always plain. Which I find odd, because I thought that's what you do at the gym. They typically say that the routine that they've developed with Soli Hear It doesn't give them time to decorate their memberships. I think that's nonsense. Plus, I think my membership looks better anyways. So I just continue on with my routine. Then many years later, I die, and I end up seeing The Rock. Weird. And I show him my sweet, tricked-out membership and scrawny physique and ask him if my membership is still good. The end. Awesome. Is that transformation? Is that transformation? So transformation become like Throw that scripture up there. Matt, thank you. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be in him must live as Jesus did. So what does transformation look like as a disciple of Jesus? I think it actually starts with an awareness that our ways are not Jesus' ways. We need to actually be transformed. 
And so what we start to recognize as we spend time with Jesus, as we're with him, as we're intimate with him, is that he has a desire for his ways to infiltrate every aspect of yours and my life. Our work, our family, friendships, hobbies, every single moment invaded by his ways, not just religious activities. But the issue for most of us, I think, is that we have spent a lifetime actually developing our own ways of living that often go against the way Jesus lives. lived. So Jesus deals with this issue of our flesh or sinful habits or our old ways of living in two distinct ways that work together. The first part is that he has given us the Holy Spirit or, as the story said, solely hear it. <laughs> but the rock is not Jesus. Let me just be very clear. <laughs> is that an allegory? I don't even know what that is. Like I said, I never took creative writing, but... Jesus, the rock, but not the same person. So the first part is that he has given us the Holy Spirit that we talked about in the story, the spirit of truth that will guide us into all truth. So who is the truth? And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit actually leads us into Jesus's ways. And, and it actually empowers us to live the way we cannot live in and of ourselves. It helps us say yes to Jesus and no to our flesh, our old ways. And so the second part of that, and I think for most of us, I know for myself, is the hardest, is obedience. What? <laughs> and I think the cool thing about Jesus is he knows this. You know what I mean? Like he knows that obedience is hard for us and that we have a hard time saying yes to him. But the, the truth of it is that he'll actually never force you to say yes to him. He will provide every single resource you and I need to be able to say yes to him and no to our old ways of living, but he won't make us do anything. And because Jesus is the master of life and knows what we need, he actually wants us to train in his ways. That's the workout equipment that appears everywhere in your life. And so obedience to Jesus comes through the training of his ways in spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines, I'm not going to go into detail about that right now, but we're actually going to have a whole series on kind of what that looks like coming up in a bit. So I'm pumped for that. That will be good. I think we have often this notion in our Christian circles that I, you, me, everyone, we don't actually have much responsibility in becoming like Jesus. That the transformation of my life is primarily, primarily a spiritual pie-in-the-sky type of idea, rather than a daily empowering of us to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves. What I'm suggesting is not like a works-based righteousness, okay, so that we earn, earn God's favor. So I, if I just do this, this, and this, then God will like me. I think if we look into the history of the Bible, we see that is not how it works. Um, but it's the biblical principle of actually working out our salvation, training unto godliness. And so there's this great quote by this guy that we seem to like a little bit here. His name's Dallas Willard. It says, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And Gandhi said, if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian. And so to concisely kind of explain transformation for us here this morning, 
Transformation of a disciple is the cooperation of the Holy Spirit showing us the way of Jesus, empowering us to say yes to his way and no to ours, with our ability to say yes or no to the instruction of Jesus for our lives. And now we're going to talk a little bit about mission, doing what Jesus did. I think here's a good place to just take a second and say, as we're discussing um, discipleship and we're breaking it down into intimacy, be with, transformation, become like, and mission, do what he did, it's important for us not to look at it as steps in a process. Okay? So I'm not saying to you, okay, guys, we need to each spend about 40 years uh, being intimate with Jesus, so learn about him, and then 10 years of transformation, and oh, you just died. No time for mission. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. This, us breaking it down into intimacy, transformation, and mission are happening in real time. They're all happening together. Oh, you died. No time for mission. So this is what Jesus said the mission of his disciples is. And I think a lot of us have heard of this, and I'm going to read it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is that your mission today? I think that was a rhetorical question. Or maybe it wasn't. It's for you to decide. I think we've agreed that Jesus is the smartest man to ever live. He is smart. And so he actually tells a couple parables of how we actually have to see him if we are actually going to be his disciples. So in Matthew, I think it's 13. Someone can proof check me, double check me. Jesus tells a parable of the field and the pearl. And in this parable, he tells of a man who finds this valuable treasure in this field. And when he finds this valuable treasure, he goes and sells everything he has so he can purchase this field. And the, and the parable of the pearl is a merchant who's been searching his whole life for these valuable pearls, finally finds this pearl of unbelievable worth, and he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy this pearl. What's the point of that story? If Jesus isn't the most valuable thing this life has to offer, then the truth is we will always be distracted by other things life has to offer us. I remember growing up, my mom and my dad always used to tell me, make sure Jesus is first in your life. And I'd smile and nod. <laughs> I love sports. And, and they would always tell me that because so I used to play soccer and basketball year-round, Weekends, I was always gone. So I was missing church a lot. And they would just say to me, Josh, make sure Jesus is first in your life. Looking back, I can see that the mission of my life was constantly changing. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. The truth is we often try to cram things in from different realities. You know, we talked about realities. Different ways of living or stories into the one we primarily want to be associated with. So the truth is I grew up as a missionary kid. I wanted to be seen and associated with God's reality, but what I liked to do was 
bringing in other ways of living and other values from other realities into my life. Everyone following me on that? And for the most of my young adult life, sports was my mission. That was actually my mission. I was a Christian, I was a follower of God, but my mission was to be an athlete, to be the best, to win at all costs. I still want to win at all costs when I play Catan with Robbie. Oh, Robbie's not even here. Duh. I'm, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't want to win at all costs, but I love playing Catan with Robbie. Um, and then my mission actually changed. I don't, has your mission ever changed in life? Like, have your missions changed, do you think? Can anyone relate to that? Mission's changing. And my mission changed to being a phys ed teacher and having a summer vacation and a good pension. (laughs) And I think that was the place uh, where actually God grabbed my attention. And see, I wanted people to think I was living in God's reality. But the truth is, like I said, I was smuggling in whatever I wanted from other realities. And the focus of my life wasn't Jesus, it was me. See, the funny thing about being a disciple of Jesus is not that he actually removes me or you from our circumstances of daily life. It's just that he wants to be the focus of your life. And everything else is an opportunity for us to focus on him. So after dropping out of teacher's college, I asked myself some hard questions. I asked God some hard questions, even though... They probably weren't that hard for him. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You think they were easy for God? I think so, too, for sure. Definitely not for me, though. And I became determined to build my life on someone that was unshakable. And this has been a process now for almost eight years. And when I look back, I can see intimacy in the last eight years. I can see some transformation, so I can see some things happening in my life. But the truth is, I rarely saw the mission. Why? I saw intimacy. I saw some transformation. But I didn't often see the mission. I think the hard truth is that I still saw myself as the most valuable thing to me. The hard truth is that I still saw the most valuable thing to myself as me not Jesus. And so three, about three or four years ago, I don't know if I mentioned, but I've been going to Anger Point now for five plus years. Three or four years ago, give or take 269 times, I made the conscious decision, empowered by the Spirit, to wholeheartedly say yes to living for Jesus and no to living for myself. And you know what the fruit of that decision has been? Mission. Sharing with people Jesus. And the craziest part of all of this is that it's being reflected in my life to others. And I'm, and, I, and I'm sharing this with you not to pat myself on the back, but one of the most humbling things that's happened recently is having a couple studly young men actually ask me to disciple them. And the truth is, I don't actually have anything good to offer them in and of myself. (laughs) Thanks, Roger. (laughs) I love you, Roger. But they must see something of greater value, of infinite worth, that I'm able to humbly reflect to them 
even through these track pants and shorts. <laughs> so why am I saying that to you? That if we're able to recognize Jesus as the most valuable thing this life have, has to offer, the natural fruit of that understanding will be mission. And that's what he wants from all of his disciples. And so Jesus wants us to become like him so that we can teach others to become like him as well. And that's the mission of a disciple. And so if we're to conclude, Matt, can you go back to that God's way, God's people? Uh, those two circles there. So God's way, God's people, that arrow there, we're saying, we're stating as a church, we, we believe is discipleship. And so we went over intimacy being with, we discussed transformation, become like, and mission doing what he did. And so just a little summary of each of those three points specifically. For intimacy, we spend time with our teacher Jesus, learning about him through the scriptures and listening to the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth, under the direction of mature disciples that can hold us accountable and wisely lead us in the ways of Jesus. For transformation, we build routines in our lives of spiritual disciplines empowered by the Holy Spirit that Jesus modeled. And so we're going to dis discuss those in depth soon, the spiritual disciplines. And those are useful in training our spirits to actually abide. Nice Bible, buddy. Those are useful for us to train our spirits to abide in Jesus and live the way we were created to live in his kingdom. And the mission is we make disciples. That is our mission. Through our experience and practice, dependent on the Holy Spirit's help to follow Jesus in the way they live their lives, recognizing the obedience and what they do will be a byproduct of a life fully alive in Christ. And so my challenge to us this morning is, could you disciple someone in the way of Jesus? Was that Roger? I tried. <laughs> I love it, Roger. That's good, man. If yes, we would love to talk more with you about that and how that could work here at Anchor Point. And if no, would you humbly desire to be discipled yourself? And that is my challenge. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to sing. And if you have any questions about anything I talked about this morning, I'd love to chat with you more about it. Um, yeah, I think we have a desire here at Anchor Point to be disciples of Jesus and to disciple others. And so, yeah, that's our heart for that. So I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege of being able to walk in your ways only through what Jesus has accomplished. And I just pray, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts a clarity of seeing you and your desire for our lives 